Pray with me now. Jesus, thank you that you are our friend, that you're our brother. Thank you that you are our king and that we are called to worship you. Pray for your people that you would speak, that we would hear, that you would find us to be faithful. I pray that you would clarify um, what baptism is um, and that you would find us just eager to, to remember it or to submit to it. Um, so move. May your gospel be proclaimed. May your people hear and may we be changed. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. What are you identified by? Who are you? When somebody asks you, who are you, what comes to mind? You see, all of us are identified by something or by someone. Um, I know uh, one of my baby pictures, uh, my dad said several times that we look identical. You know, he's like, I don't know if that's me or if that's you. And so sometimes it's our, our features, right? You know, our features are what identify us to our family. And so we see these areas and people can go and recognize that that's, you know, that you're related. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a wedding ring, you know, and that that sets you apart and that identifies you. You know, maybe at your job, it's a shirt or it's the way that you act. You see, all of us have things in our life that identify us, that set us apart, that mark us, that help define who we are. And here's the thing, who you are, who you are, your identity is what will allow you to do. You see, so often we just do things, we don't realize that our actions, why we do things are determined by who we are. And so that needs to be our primary, is who are we? What identifies us? What marks us? Because you see, there are key things. There are key things that mark our identity, that set us apart, that help lead what we do. And you see, as we talk about baptism, um, this is what baptism is, is a big piece of for Christians, is we're going to dive in, we're going to talk about it, but baptism is something that is called to mark us, to set us apart, to help our identity about who we are and who Christ is, and that will affect what we do, what we do. Now, as I've dove into this, baptism is probably, it's one of the things that's supposed to unify us as Christians, but it's probably one of the most debated issues within Christianity, is that you go to any different church and they're going to talk a little bit different thing about baptism. You know, you go to a Catholic church and they're going to baptize infants and they're going to tell you that baptism is for, you know, is to take away original sin. You know, if you go to some Presbyterian churches, they're going to baptize infants and talk about that baptism is, is bringing an infant into the covenant. You know, you go to another church and they might tell you, listen, that you're not saved if you haven't been baptized, that baptism is the way that you're saved. And so you have all these different churches that teach all of these different things about baptism. And what was once supposed to unify Christians has turned into something that can divide them. And so I hope that today as we as we dive in, as we look at this, that we'll see that we are called to be unified, but not at the expense of truth. And so there are some things where we can go and we can unify with other churches and other other Christians, but there are some things that we have to stand upon what Scripture teaches, and we have to allow that to guide us. Um, it got so bad that even in the Reformation period, there was a the first believer Baptist, the Anabaptist, uh, he was actually killed uh, because he believed in uh, in believers' baptism. Uh, Zwingli was a reformer, and uh, and he believed in infant baptism, and so. Uh, this uh, this Anabaptist came and, and, and proclaimed that he believed that uh, believers should be baptized by full immersion. And Zwingli said, let the person that thinks that he should go under the water, go under the water. And so he had him drowned. And so you can see that even from this, like, baptism can get pretty intense. Um, people uh, people can die over it, uh, at least have in the past. And so what uh, 
what my hope is that if you've come and you're here and you're you're perhaps not a Christian, you're far from God, what my hope is that as we talk uh, today that you would think about what is it that identifies you? What is it that marks you? Um, and, and my hope is that you'll see that through the gospel and, and especially even in baptism is that there is something that marks us that is stable, that is objective, that doesn't sway because everything else that identifies us goes up and down and it's always passing, whether it's our job, whether it's our family, um, whether it's even our character, or our goodness, all of these things will either go up or down. And so our identity will always be in flux and we won't be able to be stable. For those of us that are Christians, I would urge as we listen to this that you would feel the weight of baptism, that you would see what the scriptures actually teach about it and that you haven't been baptized, that you would you would you would be baptized and that if you if you have been baptized that you would remember and that you would think about and that you would let baptism mark you and you would allow the weight of it to sit on you and 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 bring about a difference in your life that it would help shape who you are and therefore shape what you do shape what you do so Real quick, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go today? So the first thing is that we're going to talk about what the gospel is. Because if we understand what the gospel is, then we're not going to have a clue about what baptism is. And so we're going to see what the gospel is and how it sets the foundation for our understanding of what baptism is. Um, the second thing is we're going to do a little bit of like a secret church. We are going to trace through the New Testament and kind of look at a theology of baptism. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to highlight. So if you got your Bibles, this is going to be one to take notes because we are going to be going through. Um, and then we are going to make some concluding marks about baptism. We're going to kind of make some summary remarks about um, what, baptism, what baptism is. So the first thing, what is the gospel? All right? What is the gospel? Oftentimes I ask people, what is the gospel? And they say, oh, well, the gospel is the Bible or the gospel is the word of God. Or, or they're not really sure about what the gospel is. They think maybe, well, aren't there four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Um, and so I want to clarify real quick that those are their gospels, meaning biographies or things about Jesus. But there's a very specific thing called the gospel, and it's a message. And Paul talks about it here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And, uh, and so he says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That passage continues to uh, continues to talk about that Jesus appeared in his resurrection to over 500 believers at one time. Um, Paul, who was a persecutor of Christianity, who, who sought to help kill Christians, became a Christian and then died as a Christian. James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. I don't know what it would take for you to believe that your family member is God, um, but James believed that his half-brother Jesus was God, and he didn't while he was in his regular life. You know, when Jesus was walking around his ministry, James was trying to pull him off the streets and saying he's crazy. But after the resurrection, you have now James who worships his brother, his half-brother, as God and is thrown off the temple mount because he refused to denounce that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Son of God. And so Paul says that everybody has seen this, but he says the gospel is something very specific. Okay, He doesn't say the gospel is everything. He says the gospel is something very specific. And what is the gospel? He says the gospel is the message that Christ died for our sin, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. He was raised on the third day. Okay, so there. This is a very personal. The gospel is is simple, but it's also complex. Okay, and so very simply, the gospel 
part of it is a, a personal message to us as individuals that we are in sin and that Christ has come to save us, each one of us, out of our sin. It's very personal. Okay, And so it starts with that you and I weren't just random events that happened, but there's actually a creator God who has existed for eternity. And that personal reality, that personal God created, he spoke and he formed and fashioned humanity. And he made us to be like us, like him in, in his image. But we rebelled, right? Sin incurred. That's the whole grounds of what's wrong with us. We all must answer the question is what's wrong with humanity? What is wrong with us? Not just everybody out there, but what's wrong with us? Why is it that we know the right thing to do, but we don't do it? Why is it that we do evil, even though we know that we shouldn't? And so the Bible's answer is that there's sin, is that this sin is selfishness, right? It exalts us above God and says that we, it, it says that we know better that we should be the ones calling the shots for our life. And this sin, this separation from God, it brings about two things. One, it brings about slavery or bondage, right? Your sin, it will enslave you, and it does. Whatever you, whatever sin is leading to, it will enslave you, and it will lead you to worship it. You will spend your time, your energy. If you think work is what really makes you a person, then you will find that you will never have enough work. You'll constantly be working all the time, and you can't seem to get away from it. If it's you know, if it's pleasure or if it's money, you'll find that constantly these are the things that enslave you. And so what you see is that whatever your sin is, however small, however great, it will begin to enslave you left unchecked. Not only does, it, does sin bring about bondage, but it also brings about condemnation. You see, the Bible talks about that God is a judge and that he's a good judge. And any good judge doesn't just weigh the good and the bad. Right? No judge is when you when someone comes in trial, no judge says, Well, I know that you're a pretty good person last week, so I guess I'll just excuse the crime that you did this week. I know that you, you know, being no woman, but you know, you fed several homeless people last week, and so we'll we'll compensate that. No. A good judge says, You're guilty of the crime, therefore you're receiving you're receiving your sentence. And God's a good judge. And so our sin against him must it must be judged. And so sin brings about bondage, but also brings about condemnation. Because we are condemned by our own sin, by our own actions, we stand condemned before God as judge. And so the scriptures say that we are in our sin, but Jesus comes, right? And his death is that we were due a death, and Christ came and died on our behalf. And it says that in accordance with the scripture, so Christ came and died the death that we should have died. And he was buried, and he was raised again from the dead, right? The resurrection, what we're going to talk about next week, that the cross and the resurrection are, are two sides of the same coin. There was no resurrection, we wouldn't be talking about the cross, right? We, I mean, if there was no, if there was no resurrection, then we wouldn't be here, right? I mean, like nobody would talk about a prophet that died, you know. And if there was no, if there was no resurrection, or if there's no cross, right, then we wouldn't even talk about a resurrection. And so the cross and resurrection are two sides of the same coin. And so this is a very personal message, right? This is a very personal appeal to the gospel, and this is this weighs on each of us because each of us are going to be held to account. All of us are going to stand before God. And we have to give an account for our sin. Either we say we've trusted in Christ and we've we've believed in him and that he is the one that carries our, our debt. Or we have to stand before God and say, listen, I carry the debt of my sin and I will be held responsible. You see, if you if you die, spirit, if you're dead spiritually, and you die physically, you die eternally. I'll say that again. If you are dead spiritually, which all of us are because of our separation from God, because of sin, if you if you're dead spiritually and you die physically, you're dead eternally, and so you're separated from God. But you see, the Gospels calls that God doesn't desire that. God doesn't desire that that they would that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance, would come to the knowledge of who He is. All right. So 
Christ came, he incarnated, he became like one of us, and he took our debt. This is very personal. The second, the second message of the gospel is universal. Okay, and this is this is foundational for us to understand for, for baptism. Um, Romans eight twenty through twenty one it says this for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So this question is, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Not just what's wrong with us, but what's wrong with the world? And you see, the Bible says that God created the world and he created it all good. When he spoke and he made everything, it was good. But because of sin's effects, it doesn't just affect our nature, but it's affected all of creation. And so our world is marred, is that there was a fall. Right? There was a fall that happened, not just personally, but also cosmically. All of our world has fallen and is broken. But Jesus has come. Right, And his death on the cross wasn't just for each of us personally, but it was also universally, cosmically. Jesus came to reverse the curse that was placed upon creation. Jesus came to take the curse that was given upon himself that creation might be healed. And so what we see is that there's a very – Jesus comes and he says, I come bringing a kingdom. right? And Jesus comes bringing the kingdom in that the old order that was brought under Adam might be reversed. And so he brings healing to the entire world. Through his cross. And so this this is what's happened now. And it's, you have this interesting thing in the scriptures where it says that the kingdom's here, but it's not yet. And so we already get tastes of it. We can say that, that Christ is king, that he is here. The war's already been won, but we're waiting for the consummation of it. We're waiting for the final reality of it where heaven comes and meets earth. Right? Because there will be a day. There will be a day where there will be no more pain. Where there will be no more suffering. When all of the hurt and the pain that we see will be undone. And where Christ reigns and there's perfect peace. And that's what this is talking about is that the gospel is also universal. It's also cosmic. It's massive. Okay? And so this is, this is the gospel. We must understand this. This is the gospel both personally and universally. Okay? Now, what does the gospel call us to do? Okay? We've heard the gospel message. What is the gospel call? All right? The gospel call is for us to place faith and repentance. Because here's the thing. Every, when I just said that, when I just laid out the gospel, that Christ died for your sin and was buried, was raised from the dead, all of us had one of two responses. All of us had one of two responses. Either, either we rejected the gospel and we said, I don't really believe that. And here's, you can reject it in two ways. Either you can say, I believe it, in my, I believe it intellectually and I don't trust, I don't put the weight of my, my soul, of my heart in the message. And you reject it, and you hold on to your sin. And you say, I value my sin over Jesus. That's one response to the gospel, is that you hold on to your sin and you reject Jesus. The second response in what the Bible calls is the Bible says, place your faith in Jesus and repent of your sin. You see, all of us are holding on to, before we become a Christian, all of us are holding on to our sin. Is that It's what identifies us, it's what marks us, is we value it and we want it above God, and we're holding on to it. But when the gospel comes, we have a choice Right, that we can choose to let go of our sin and turn to Jesus. And faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin, right? Just like the cross and resurrection, is that I don't just let go of something for the sake of letting go of something. I let go of my sin that I might turn to Christ, because He says, "Come." He invites us, and we see this in Acts two thirty-seven through forty-one. This is the first sermon, okay? So. Peter's preaching the first sermon ever in Acts, and this is what he says. He says uh, he's just preached it. He's preached Christ crucified, buried, raised from the dead, and this is what happens. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles' brothers, What shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so what he says is he says the gospel came and what you see is that you see they say, how can we be saved? What does it look like for me to be saved? And he says, repent, let go of your sin. And here's the interesting thing in Acts, because you're kind of saying, well, wait, I heard repentance, but I didn't hear faith. One of the cool things about Acts is it talks about, and sometimes it will say, you know, confession. They called upon Christ's name, and that was the means of salvation. Sometimes it says, and they believed upon the Lord. And other times it just says, and they repented. You know, you see it all throughout. And so what Paul or what Luke is doing here is he's showing that they're, they go together. Faith, repentance, confession, all of these go together, and that they are synonymous for coming to know Christ, for coming into a relationship with him. And he says, this is what happens. This is the call of the gospel upon us, faith and repentance. And we as Christians, when we initially believe this, we are saved, right? We are saved. He says, you are saved when you believe this, when this comes and takes root in your life. But the good news is that we don't just say, well, I believed it, check mark off every time we come here. This is why we talk about this, right? I mean, this is the whole purpose is every time our hearts fade away and our hearts grow hard and they go back to sin. And we have to remember who Christ is and what he saved us from that we wouldn't grow hard and that our hearts wouldn't run back to sin. But instead we say that you know what's best, God, and I continue to open myself to you, that you would lead me, that you would guide me because I'm a foolish person, right? I'm 26, you're eternal. You probably know a little bit more than me. And all of us should say that, right? I mean, eternity compared to our age, there's a little bit of wisdom in it. And so I think that we should, we should pay attention. We should be open. So the call of the gospel is faith and repentance. Now, I want to talk about the results of the gospel. What does the gospel do in our life? Okay? The gospel does this. Several different things. One, it brings about eternal life. It's a promise. When you believe, when you believe the gospel, when you have faith and repentance towards Christ and the gospel, you are guaranteed and promised eternal life because you are now brought into union with eternal life. Jesus is the source of eternal life. He is it. And so when you're united to him, you are given eternal life. Is that you will never die. You will never die. You will pass from one stage to another, but you will never die in the sense that we understand. You are also a child of God, right? So he promises in John three thirty six. he says that you've now become children of God. And so for us, man, we are now family with one another because of what Jesus has done. All of us have one father and all of us, we are his children. And so God is our, our father, we are born again, right? We are given a new birth, a new start. And so we are no longer marked by our first birth, but instead we have a new, a new chance, a new beginning, and that we are born again. We are justified before God. And so here's the thing. When you believe in Jesus, you no longer have to be defensive because your justification is Jesus, and he is perfect in your stead. And you know what happens if you really believe that? If you really believe that, then we would stop trying to justify ourselves before people. We would stop trying to make excuses. We would stop trying to defend ourselves because we would realize that Christ is our defender, that he is the one that stands for us, that why do we need to stand? We instead rest in him because he is the one that has stood for us. And so we are justified before God, and we are members of Christ's body, that we are part and we are wed together in his body. Okay, so these are the results of the gospel. This is what believing the gospel does in our lives. And this is just a smattering, right? This is just a little bit of a taste of what the gospel does. All right, so what, 
How does this set the stage for what baptism is? Okay, we need to understand that the gospel is both personal and universal. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to look at, at the scriptures. We're going to read through them and do real quick a theology of baptism in the New Testament. But what's really, what really sticks out to me is when you hear the gospel, you must realize that Christ is both Savior and Lord. Because what, what happens often is that people aren't baptized, is they put off baptism for a long time, and it's because they didn't understand what the gospel was. Is that they thought that, well, Christ saves me from my sin, but I really call the shots. I really am the one that rules my life, but Jesus just kind of saves me, and it's a fire insurance card. And you need to realize that that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ comes in for who he is, and that's Lord, and that is King. And that when he comes into your life, he doesn't just satisfy himself with just taking away sins, but instead he rules over all. And so the reason that people aren't baptized often is because they don't realize that Christ is Lord. And so they're kind of scared because they think that baptism is going to, uh, going to be this extra commitment rather than realizing that actually in the gospel, the full commitment is there. And then if you understand and believe the true gospel, that baptism will flow very naturally. It will, it will stream forth from faith because you'll understand that all of my life is his. And so why would I be prevent, why would I prevent myself from being baptized? Because I've already committed everything. And he is the, the gospel talks about that he is a pearl of great price that Jesus is worth giving everything for. Everything. He's worth giving our lives. He's worth giving our homes. He's worth giving our families. Everything. You know, the, the, the Gospels talk about that, you know, that he is the one that when we find him, that we would be willing to say nothing can compare. Nothing can satisfy me like he can. And that we would give up everything in pursuit of him. And you see, when this is your understanding of the Gospel, then, then, then baptism flows very naturally forth through it. So, so, get ready. We're going to to journey, so um, yeah, let's buckle in. Uh, we're going to look at baptism through the scriptures. So the first time that uh, that baptism appears in the New Testament is John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes and he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And so uh, Matthew, I'm going to read Matthew uh, chapter three, verse two, and then in verse eleven, he says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And then in verse eleven, he says, "I baptize you with water for repentance." But he who is coming after me is, is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so what we see is John the Baptist comes and he proclaims baptism. And what is, what's John doing? John is setting the stage for Jesus. John's coming and preparing a people's hearts to turn back to God. Right? Because what repentance is, is it's changing our mind. It's changing the way that we think to align with how God thinks. And so you have a whole nation that's coming to John to be baptized, and they're confessing their sins to John. They're saying, I need to change. And so John is baptizing them, and what is he doing? He's stirring up their hearts. He's tilling the ground of their hearts that they might come back to God so that when Jesus comes on the picture, they would be drawn to him, and they would see him as who he is, as God incarnate. And so it says, listen, I baptize you with water, but there's a bigger baptism coming. There's a grander and mightier baptism that's coming, right? And so he says that Jesus is going to come and that he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so he, he proclaims, he proclaims that. Next we see Jesus is baptized. So we get a glimpse of John's baptism. Now we're going to look at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3, uh, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Okay, so he went up from the water. Pretty good case for that he was dunked under the water. You have to come up if you went down. And so he's coming up out of the water. 
uh, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus' baptism is extremely important for several reasons. First, Jesus' baptism marks his identification, his initiation into his ministry. Right? Jesus is baptized, and then he enters into his public ministry. Then he goes into his three years of ministry. So it's, we see that baptism is initiation. Baptism is the, is the start to something new. And so it's, it's initiation. Second, it reveals the Trinitarian aspect to baptism as salvation as a whole. So this is one of the few passages that we get a very clear understanding of God the Father. God the Father is there, and he's speaking over his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We have God the Son who is being baptized, who is receiving this. And then we have the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who has come down upon the Son. And so we see that, that all the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are active in his baptism. And you know that's true for us as well. That's why in, in Matthew he talks about that we're baptized in the name of the Trinity because all three persons in the Godhead have parts in our salvation. God the Father is the one that has elected us. He's the one that chose us. He's the one that, that decreed salvation would come. God the Son is the one that comes to earth, and he is the one that brings about salvation by taking the burden of sin on himself. And then God the Holy Spirit is the one that takes the work that Christ did, and he applies it to our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one that sets your mind upon Christ. He's the one that takes all that Christ has done, and he makes it known to you. He opens your mind to see it, to understand it. He is the one that guides you to become like Christ. And so we see all three people in the Godhead are, are in Jesus' baptism. It also shows us that baptism is a sign of submission to God, right? Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Jesus didn't have sin to repent of. Jesus didn't have any issues. But he was baptized to show that he submitted to his Father's will. And so baptism is a sign that we are submitting, that we are honoring God, that we are no longer rulers of our life, but he is. And so baptism is a sign of submission. And the last one is that it also reveals that baptism is something that identifies us with someone or something. Jesus' baptism identified him with sinful Israel. All of Israel was the ones being baptized by John. And Jesus comes and he identifies with the nation. He identifies with his people, Israel, being like them but being different. That he might be through Israel and might save them and through them save all of the world. And so we see that it that uh, the baptism uh, identifies us with a people. It doesn't just identify us, it identifies us with God, but also identifies us with a people, as Jesus shows here. So the next thing is that Jesus talks about in Luke 12.50, he talks about a different kind of baptism. Okay, In Luke 12.50, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And in different places, Jesus talks about, he says, there's a baptism that I have to undergo. And what he's talking about is that Jesus on the cross underwent a baptism. He was fully immersed in the wrath of God. Is that the wrath of God, the justice of God was fully poured out upon Christ, and he was swallowed up in it. He was drowned in it, that we might not. And so Jesus was baptized. He talks about it. He says, I'm distressed until this is accomplished, until I'm fully submerged, until I, I, I face a separation from my Father because, because of the sin of the people. And so we see that Jesus was baptized on the cross with God's wrath. And then he changes it, right? In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says this, And Jesus came and said to them, right? This is like right before Jesus ascends. This is kind of like Jesus' last words, so pretty important. Uh, last words of Jesus. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? So it's called Go Make Disciples, who of all nations, everywhere. And the call is while you're going, when you're at work, when you're with friends, when you're with family, as you're going to soar, wherever you're at, while you're going, make disciples. He says this, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we see a couple things here. One, he says that essential to being a disciple is being baptized. Is that disciples of Christ are baptized. It's not like an optional thing. Jesus doesn't say, listen, if you want, you know, there's this kind of optional thing. It's kind of cool. You dunk somebody and then people gather around and they clap. You know, no, he says, listen, this is mandatory that if you're my disciple, you will be, you will be baptized. And so we see that baptism is a command of Jesus. It's a command. We also see that Jesus is Lord, right? He says, all authority has been given to me. And so as Lord, he is the one that has a right to command us. And it's, it's in the name of the Trinity. It's in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to turn to, uh, to Acts and go through real quick. Um, personally, as I dive through this, um, I grew up in a Baptist. Well, I, I became a Christian when I was 15, and I kind of like came from the Baptist roots. And so baptism was something that, you know, we had a baptismal, you know, like we had a clean baptismal and like our pastor was like six, six. And so he's massive. And so he would just like dunk people under the water. And, uh, and so, you know, like you're praying that he didn't hold you under too long. Um, but, uh, so he was, I mean, he's a, he's a big guy. So I'm used to kind of baptism, but like we had it very nice and neat and kind of marked like these things come and then this, and then this, and you, you had this very nice, neat categories. And as I read through and studied for this, I realized that while, while it's important for us to think conceptually about these things, about faith and repentance, about confession, about giving, receiving the Holy Spirit and baptism, it's important for us to think of those things. Man, the book of Acts has these so integral. They're so intertwined that sometimes it's, you know, like it talks about for those that are for those of you that are married. When was it that you were married? Was it when you said your vows? Was it when you got your ring? the pastor said that you're married or the person said that you're married or was it when you signed the marriage license when was it when were you married or would you say that all of these things were so important that they all contributed to the point of when i was married and you see that this is what this is how acts portrays faith repentance confession baptism receiving the gift of the holy spirit all five of these things are so interconnected they, they, he talks about that they're occurring on the same day and almost in us because sometimes he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you're kind of saying, well, w- hold on a second, you know, where is faith in here? Or where is, and why does he say this? Because he views all these things as, as happening so closely and so tied together is there wasn't this leap or this gap in baptism where you waited, you know, years or weeks, that it was a sign of initiation. And so I just want to read the, the first time we see baptism in Acts is when the, the disciples are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so you, what you have is Jesus' promise. He says, listen, I'm going to, my disciples are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What that means is they are immersed and are completely submerged within the Holy Spirit. And Acts 2 happens. You have Pentecost. And so the disciples are there. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they start speaking, you know, in tongues. And all of these different people hear them. And tongues of fire are resting upon them. And so they're submerged within the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that Peter does is they think you're drunk. Like they're kind of like, oh, this guy's drunk. And Peter stands up and says, I'm not drunk. And then he preaches like the best sermon ever because 3,000 people get saved. 
And, uh, and so, you know, kind of showing like, I'm, I'm not drunk. I just preached an awesome, you know, like the Holy Spirit used him. And, uh, and what he says in there is that he talks about that those that received the message, those that heard and believed the message were the ones that were baptized. And see, this lends itself to, to why we don't baptize infants. Okay. Because all throughout Acts and all throughout the epistles, you have this, this identification of faith, repentance, and baptism is that they're tied together is that you don't baptize someone without faith or repentance or without believing in his name. And so that's why infants aren't baptized because they don't have faith. They can't repent. You know, I don't know if you ever talk to a two-month-year-old and say, all right, repent, stop being selfish, all right? No more dirty diapers for you, you know? And, and it doesn't work too well. They don't really understand that, and so they can't change. Um, and so there's no faith, there's no repentance within an infant. And so therefore, the idea that the scriptures have of baptism is for those that believe. And so that's why we'll do we we baptize children or we you know baptize you know those that are younger but it's those that believe it's those that believe that are baptized. So you have Peter proclaiming them being baptized. Um, the next one is that uh, and and sorry and you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he proclaims they're baptized and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so baptism of the Holy Spirit throughout Acts as well as the New Testament as well as water baptism are so closely tied. It doesn't mean, it's not saying that because now you're water baptized, you are now baptized by the Spirit, but those events are almost happening synonymously. They're almost happening so so close to one another. Is that you see almost all the baptism experiences that you have in Acts is that the gospel is proclaimed, they believe, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit sometime around, either sometimes it's before baptism or sometimes it's after, um, and then they, you know, then they are baptized. And so the gift of the Spirit, faith, repentance, confession, and being baptized, those five are, are the right into becoming a Christian. It's what it means to become a Christian is that we, are, we repent, we are baptized, we believe the gospel. All of these things are synonymous. And so we can't divorce. What I see is we divorce and we say baptism's over here and then the gospel's over here. And you can't see that in the scriptures. You can't. You look at the scriptures and they are tied intimately together. So we see all throughout Acts, different, different cases. Um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he comes, he proclaims the gospel, and he goes, what prevents me from being baptized? Where's water that I might be baptized? And instantly he's baptized. You see Cornelius, the first time that Gentiles come in, that Gentiles are even part of the Christian faith, is that Peter goes and he proclaims to them, and he says that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they started to speak in tongues, and Peter's like, you almost get this feeling that Peter's like really he's really surprised that God actually did this and uh, and he says okay well they have the spirit so I guess I have to baptize them you know like I can't prevent being I can't prevent baptizing because they have the holy spirit and God did this and so he baptizes them and so you see it's this result um one of the things as I as I researched and I I studied uh, church history over baptism one of the interesting things is that we as the church emerged and as it went on you saw that baptism became a, a later phenomenon and so people baptized later and later after conversion and it started to separate from its intimacy and i think part of why that is is it because christianity started to take root okay so when you have an axe is that you have christianity is brand new nobody really knows what it is and baptism is almost a brand new phenomenon nobody baptized people i mean this is this is new to the culture as far as someone baptizing someone else and so you have people being baptized, and everybody knew that this was different. It was set apart. But as you have the centuries unfolding, you have people understanding more of what this is, and so it can be taken for granted. 
And so people can forget what it is. And so you have a separation in time of when baptism is. And the Didache, the Didache is a second century um, church manual, basically. It just kind of instructs people upon what they should do, how they should live, about baptism, all of these things. And the Didache in the second century, it talks about that those who are to be baptized are to those that believe the gospel, have repented and shown that they know who Christ is. And so that's why we do wait at times. That's why we do pause and to make sure people understand before we just dunk them is that we want to make sure that they understand what the gospel is, that they really do believe. Okay, So throughout Acts, we have all of these things, all of these things that are interrelated. Um, now I want to I want to turn real quick and read a couple of the uh, a couple of the epistles. All right, we're almost. Thanks for hanging in. We're almost done with uh, the theology theology part of it. So three different things when we look at Paul and Peter. Paul and Peter are the, are the people that talk about baptism in the New Testament and the epistles. Okay, um, and I want to talk about three things. First, one of the things that you see when you read them is that baptism is central. Is that they assume every every epistle assumes that all Christians have been baptized. They take it for granted almost that the Christians have been baptized, and so they, you see when you look at the or when you look at the epistles, baptism centrality that it's it's part and parcel with being a Christian is that you're baptized. The second one is that baptism shows our union with Christ. Is it shows our union with Christ and our washing away of sin. And the last one is that we have to be careful because baptism can be overstated. Okay, baptism is a part, but it's not the whole, and so baptism at certain times can be overstated. Um, so. 1 Peter 3.21 says this. It says, Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What Peter is just talking about is he was talking about how God saved Noah and eight others through the flood. So he's saying that the flood came and God purged the earth of evil and of wickedness, but God saved eight people through this flood. And he says, Baptism corresponds to this corresponds to the flood, corresponds to God saving his people underneath the wrath of God. And he says, it saves you. How? Not because you washed your body. He's saying you're not saved from your sins because you took a bath. Okay, you're saved from your sins by an appeal to God for a good conscience. So in baptism, we are, we are stating, and even before baptism, we're stating that we believe that God is the one that saves us, that God is the one that takes away our sin, that we can't take our own sin away that we can't change ourselves, but God is the source of our change. God is the source of, of our difference in our life. And so we appeal to God. And so what he says is that when we go under, and the reason, one of the reasons we do immersion, right, that you go fully under, that we, you know, you get dunked, is it because it's symbolizing that when you go underneath, you are under God's wrath and that you come up out of the water new because Jesus took God's wrath for you. And so it's to symbolize that you're dead that God has saved us underneath and through his wrath, just as he saved Noah, is that he saved us from his wrath because of Jesus. Jesus took the wrath of God that we might be saved from it. And so Peter is saying this. It's appeal. Ephesians 4, 5, it says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And he lays out seven different things, and he talks about what unifies us as Christians. What unifies us is that we were baptized into one body, right? Is that together we are one, we are members of one another. And so baptism is to be a source of our unity, as we remember that all of us, all of us have been baptized, that are Christians, and this unifies us together, that we're family. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, spirit, Paul, Paul in this passage thinks of spirit and water baptism. If you were to ask him, which baptism are you talking about, Paul? Are you talking about spirit baptism or are you talking about water baptism? He would say both, both. And so he's talking about both in this thing. Is that He's saying we've been baptized by one spirit. And so this idea of washing, is it baptism as well as spirit baptism? They, it unifies us. It draws us together. 1 Corinthians 10 to it says, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Just once again showing the idea of baptism and centrality. In Galatians 3.27, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so Paul in Galatians is arguing that we have been put, we've been clothed in Christ, that baptism shows and is one of the demonstrations that we are in Christ. Okay, so we see that baptism is central. You can't understand being a Christian, whether it's in the Gospels and Acts or in the Epistles, without understanding baptism as what's to come. Now, the significance, two things, union with Christ, um, death to sin and wrath, and also that we have been um, washed with sin. So Romans 6, 3 through 4. It says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this theme, but one of the biggest things that baptism symbolizes is that we are unified, that you, and it's, it's amazing because I remember when I was baptized, I was 17, and I look back to that, and it's an objective marker that I am dead. That there are things that I struggle with. There are things that I might continue to struggle with, but I can go back and I can say, no, God's promise, I am dead to those things. That is not who I am. That does not mark me. My identity doesn't lie any longer in my sin or my failures, but instead it resides and is marked by Christ and by his love and by his resurrection. And so there's a, a unity that baptism shows that we are unified with Christ. It's as almost as if there's a grave marker. And that's kind of why one of the reasons I like that we do it out at the beach is because, you know, it's a little bit rough. There are kind of waves washing you over and you might get drowned, you know, like, but it, it shows that like it's, it's actually a death, you know, and sometimes we take that very lightly and we kind of pretty it up, you know, um, I don't think we'll do this, but I did read of a church that had literally a coffin in their church, and they baptized in the coffin. I'm like, that's a little scary. I'm not sure that we would do that, but I think the picture the picture is suitable and that it shows that we have died. We've been buried with Christ, right? We've been buried with Christ, and we rise up resurrected. We rise up new. And you don't have to worry. We're not going to get a coffin. That's, it was a little creepy, but I think it served to illustrate the point. It served to illustrate the point. So we have been unified. We've been unified. And can I tell you? When you're going through life and you're struggling, it really helps practically. It really helps to think about a moment where there's been victory, a moment when God has promised and said that you are dead to these things and these things no longer mark you. And so, man, when you're in the midst of struggle, when you're in the midst of hard times, can I tell you that baptism can be a great encouragement? It can be a great reminder and a, and a stone, you know, a foundation that you can remember back upon what God has done for you in Jesus and that he's given you victory and he has promised, he's promised that he will fight with you and through you to overcome these things. And so allow baptism to do that. Whether you've been baptized or being baptized, remember it as an encouragement. Same thing in Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so this kind of emphasizing once again that we have been raised to new life. So not only have we been crucified from our old life, 
but God has given us new life in Jesus. Is that there's a new start. So we see that it it's union. It's union with um, and then the warning. Right, So we have to be careful because there are times where people make too much of baptism. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 13 through 17. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so one of the things that's important to see is that Paul says, listen, while baptism and the gospel are very interrelated, interconnected, they're not synonymous. Okay? So just because you're baptized doesn't mean you're saved, because Paul says, listen, I'm your father. He says that he's their father in Christ, but yet he didn't baptize them. Okay, and so you have to be careful that we don't make baptism the end-all, be-all of what it means to be saved. It's a part of the equation, but it's not the whole equation. And so he cautions against that. Um, so last, let's uh, let's just kind of make a couple conclusions, and then we will we will pray. And uh, so first one, what is what is baptism? What are some of the things that we've learned from our theology walking through the New Testament? About what baptism is? First, we've seen that it's initiation to being a Christian. Right, that when you're baptized, it is an initiation to you being a Christian. Second one is it's a physical proclamation of the gospel. Right, is we verbally proclaim that Jesus died, was buried, was raised from the dead. In baptism, you physically proclaim that by going under the water, being buried and raised from the dead. You're physically proclaiming the gospel. Third is it's demonstrating our washing from sin. Is it just as we are physically washed in baptism? It shows that we have been spiritually washed and cleansed because of Jesus's blood. And so it's, it's a showing that we've been washed from sin. Fourth one is it it's displaying our union with Christ, is that we are unified with Christ. And therefore, when, when Jesus is baptized and the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, do you know that every time that when we're baptized into Christ, when we receive Christ, the Father says that over you? This is my daughter. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He loves us because we are in Christ. Fifth one is it's a sign of submission to God. We are submitting to God through baptism. Uh, and the sixth one is that it's a means of grace and of encouragement, right? And not a grace that justifies us, but a grace that encourages us and sanctifies us. And so it's important just as we get encouraged and we grow closer to Jesus because of a, a sermon or because of, you know, fellowship or a Bible study, so too we grow closer to Christ because of baptism as it helps us to see him and draw near to him. So who's to be baptized, right? Those that believe are to be baptized, not infants, when? When are people to be baptized? People are to be baptized after they believe, right? Close to as soon as possible. That they un- When they understand the gospel and they truly do believe they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, then they are to be baptized. How? Right? The important means is that it's water in the Trinity. Okay, there are people that can't be dunked. There are people that, like, will die physically, literally, if they're immersed in water. And so the important thing is that there's water and that the Trinity is used. The to- but ideally we would want to immerse so if you're saying listen i don't like cold water that's not enough of a hindrance for you being baptized okay and so immersion is what is what the early church did it's the practice that it set forth so before we pray for those of you that that haven't accepted christ that you're here and perhaps you don't know christ as your lord and savior what are you identifying with i would i would encourage you please trust in christ Submit to him, honor him, because he loves you, and he desires to help you to come alongside you. He wants to kill the old and bring about the new. 
And so I hope that as you see baptisms, when you look at it, that you're able to be reminded or, or see that that's what God's up to. That God is about destroying sin, destroying old, and bringing about new. For those of us who have been baptized, remember, use this to wage war against our sin. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks so much. Thanks for who you are. Thanks for uh, just being faithful to us. Pray that you would help us understand baptism and that we would just uh, we would just submit to it and that we would uh, we would just be thankful. Uh, we love you, Senior. Pray, Jesus. Amen.